if you guys recall with me, we got Joseph. He's been used, he's been abused, and refused. First by his brothers. You guys remember he was sold to the Egyptians. Nothing in his life was going right. Every promotion he got, it seemed to be, you know, come and be followed by a setback. Every appointment ended with a disappointment. Okay, I don't know if any of you guys are going through or facing some of those things, setbacks in life right now, disappointments in life. If you're not, get ready because that's kind of what happens in life. And the cool thing is we can actually learn from God's word, you know, a godly example for us in this guy, Joseph. Okay, and Joseph, um, he could have been angry with everything that's gone down thus far. He could easily have grown angry bitter he could have given up but joseph loved god it's the one thing i really see his life mark that hey i'm gonna be a man who chooses to trust to believe and to love god and joseph loved the people around him he served those he was around and he certainly loved his father back home and he had love and he loved his evil brothers In today's chapter, guys, when these brothers wind up at Joseph's doorstep, though you might think he should have probably sought revenge at this point for throwing him in a pit and then selling him to the Egyptians as a slave and telling their dad that he had died by a wild beast, uh, you might think that this is time for him to get even. But instead, Joseph, he shows love. And do you guys know that love wins? Amen. Paul, and we're going to get into Corinthians this next year. We're going to be starting that with Exodus beginning of the year. That's why we're going through so many chapters in Genesis right now. (laughs) But we know that Paul writes to the Corinthian church that love bears all things. Do you guys believe that to be true? Bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things and endures all things. Love, he says, never fails. And we see that in Joseph. So really, the rest of Joseph's story here dwells on how he treats his brothers when they are reunited. And it forms a picture of how Jesus will treat Israel in the last days. So in chapter 42, guys, it really begins with one of 13 famines that are mentioned throughout the scriptures. Few of us have experienced a true famine okay some of us like i'm starving i skipped breakfast today (laughs) that's not starving guys okay we have an abundance okay and i'm always in awe every wednesday going down to the pantry seeing thousands of pounds of food sitting on the shelves for those who are in need right here in our own backyard like we are so blessed um so the crops here they have withered as a result of the soaring heat Winds howl and they blow the topsoil, okay? Dirt's being swirled around. The dust settles back to the earth. Powder is covering everything, their homes, their fences, empty rain clouds, you know? Maybe they're teasing them once in a while with one or two drops. I mean, (laughs) nothing's growing, okay? Um, Nothing there, you know? It's uh, fields that were once fertile are just now huge, big, dust bowls so you guys kind of get what's going on in the world okay they had seven years of plenty and now they're in seven years 
of famine. Nothing's growing. There is nothing to eat. So this situation in which Jacob would find himself, okay, the famine hit Canaan. And let's take a look here together at verse 1. It says, when Jacob saw that there was no grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Okay, I think that's kind of a comical line. Okay, the family is on the verge of starvation when they hear that there's grain in Egypt. Why are you standing here looking at each other, right? So Jacob says to his sons, you know, why are you standing around? Just look, go, (laughs) buy some food, guys. We're starving. And it says, that he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to the place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, least some calamity befall him. So Jacob is still mourning the loss of his son, Joseph. All Jacob knows was eaten by a wild beast. Okay, so he is mourning still over Joseph, and he probably held the older brothers responsible. He's not going to trust them with Rachel's other son, Benjamin. And take a look at verse 5. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was he who sold to all the people of the land and joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth think about this moment what a moment this must have been and who would have thunk it guys that when judah handed their you know bratty little brother over to the slave traders and pocketed 20 shekels for him he could have never imagined that one day that he and his brothers would be bowing before Joseph in desperate need, okay? Who would have thought this? But God foresaw it, okay? Do you guys know that God foresees? He foreseen this whole thing happening, okay? Um, so remember Joseph's dream, guys, the one that enlar- or enraged his brothers so much, their bundles would bow down to his bundle. Now their dream that they all scoffed at and resented It's being fulfilled in God's providence. Look at verse 7. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. So I pictured, you know, Joseph there sitting on a throne, okay, uh, in this long, you know, ornate Egyptian hall, and he's interviewing these entourages of people from all over the world, and he notices some familiar faces out there those are my brothers okay there's reuben and that's Issachar, and and that's judah can you guys picture what must have been going through joseph's mind imagine his emotions at this point and it's amazing to me that he could hold himself back but he makes a split second decision to play this out okay before he reveals his identity. He gulps hard, musters a grim look, and he speaks in a way to disguise his voice. And then he said to him, where do you come from? And I don't know if that's what he sounded like. And they said, from the land of Canaan. 
to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now remember, by the way, Joseph is now 40 years old. He's sporting this Egyptian haircut. He's wearing some Egyptian clothing, and he speaks the Egyptian language. So the brothers don't have, you know, their wildest dreams. No way that this man would be our brother Joseph. We would never see him again. But look at verse 9, that Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, you are spies and have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one's, one man's son. We are honest men, your servants and not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, this is how you guys are going to remember Joseph from now on. <laughs> and they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. So how was Joseph here able not to stop them to probe a little deeper to what happened to their brother? I don't know, okay? But he is going to put his brothers through a few tests to determine whether or not they're truly repentive of what they had done. So Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. So remember, guys, when it comes to the scriptures, there's a lot of species of prophecy, okay? As typology. The, you know, God often uses Old Testament people and stories to cast some light on New Testament teachings, guys. So the life of Joseph, as we have studied, and if you guys missed the last study in Joseph, pick it up. What a neat picture of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, but Joseph's life really is a type of the life of Jesus. And how Joseph treats his brothers after the rejection of him is a pattern of how Jesus will treat the Jews in the last days and when he returns. So there are three phases that Joseph is dealing with here with his brothers. Here he relies on mystery. Later he'll re reveal his majesty. And then finally he's going to provide them ministry. Okay, and at this point, Joseph, you know, relies on mystery. He knows them, but they don't know him. And also, guys, there's three phases of how Christ will deal with Israel in the last days. When he returns, the second coming, okay, he will come in all of his majesty. Afterwards, he will minister to the Jews throughout the kingdom age. But at this moment, guys, he is relying on mystery. The Jews don't recognize their brother. You see, Paul Harvey says, providence is God's acting anonymously. You see, the Jews, guys, they don't know that Jesus is their Messiah. They don't know that he is the Savior of the world, their brother. Okay, And this is how Jesus is working with Israel today. But the day of revelation, I believe it's about to come. And that's going to be a very exciting day. So take a look here at verse 15. Then in this manner you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. Oh, sorry, this is him speaking. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall keep him in prison. 
and your words may be tested to see whether if any of you are telling the truth, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them together, all together, in prison for three days. Of the 12 brothers, guys, Joseph and Benjamin were the sons of, you guys remember? Rachel, right? So these are all half-brothers, okay? You only had one full brother. When Joseph was shipped off, Benjamin was a toddler at that time, and he wants to make sure that he gets to see him. So it says, Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So Joseph is going to teach them a lesson on substitution here. One brother remains until the younger is retrieved. And this is what the Jews failed to understand about Jesus. He came as their substitute, guys, to die in their place, to suffer their penalty. Verse 21, then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and said, did I speak or did I not speak to you, saying, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. So the consequences, guys, we're still guilty. That's what these brothers are saying. We are still guilty. They remembered what they did to Joseph, and he squeals for help and falls on the deaf ears of his brothers, and Reuben says, hey, this is, this is payback. And then it goes on to say, but they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. So their interpretation here of the situation moved Joseph's heart. Even 20 years, guys, later, his brothers still were carrying this guilt for what they had done to little Joe. Then it says he turned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon. From them and bound him before their eyes. Why Simeon? We're not sure. Don't really know. Uh, from the incident in Shechem, which we studied back in chapter 34, we learned that he was a violent man, and possibly maybe Simeon was a ringleader in throwing Joseph into the pit and wanting to kill him. We don't know for sure. But we do read here that Joseph gave the command to fill their sacks with grain and restore every man's money to his sack and to give him provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and they departed from there. I love Joseph's generosity here. You guys know that Jesus is very generous. Okay? And we see that pictured here. He's telling his brothers, hey, they can't buy his blessing. You guys are starving. Family back home is starving. I'm going to bless you. I'm just going to give to you. And do you guys know that his favor is not for sale? It's a free gift, okay? It's the same with God's favor. You can't buy God's blessing. Grace fills your sacks and give you back what you paid. It's a gift. 
But notice the, the brother's reaction to the grace here, guys. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored. And there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them. And they were afraid, saying to one another, what is it? Or what is this that God has done to us? So this was the same reaction the Jewish people have to grace, isn't it? They don't understand it. It scares them. They thought God's blessings had to be earned. We see verse 29, Then the brothers here went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him, All that had happened to them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us, and you should have heard his voice, and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me. So I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. And I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. So as they talk, they start to unpack here. So then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in the sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. They suspected here a setup, right? That they would be accused of theft. Apparently the idea that the the Egyptians should just, you know, wanted to love them (laughs) in bless them never crossed their mind okay they would be too good to be true which is the problem many people have with god's grace so what's the catch can god really just be that generous verse 36 says jacob their father said to them you have bereaved me joseph is no more simeon is no more and you want to take benjamin all these things are against me So Jacob didn't share Joseph's faith in God's providence. Okay, here's what Jacob sung. No one loves me. This I know. For my misfortunes tell me so. Instead, he should have been singing, Jesus loves me. (laughs) This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You see, he bemoans all that has happened. All these things are against me. Did you guys catch him saying that? All these, you ever feel that way? Nothing's working out. All these things are against me. I felt that way this week about a couple things. Why don't things just work, you know? We can get into that mentality. But these things weren't against him. God was working for him to reunite him to his son, Joseph, and to preserve him through this famine. So guys, when trouble strikes or circumstances unravel trust in God's providence, he's at work behind the scenes. Some of you might be tripping right now about what's going on, what's going down. Do you know that God's at work? Do you know that he has good in view? Trust him, guys. Verse 37, then Reuben spoke 
to his father, saying, Kill my two boys, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So I'll take a hungry stomach, okay? Well, a hungry stomach is actually going to be the thing that's going to change Jacob's mind, okay? And that's what he, you know, God arranges for us in chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass that they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Sorry, if you send our brother with us, we will go down and we will buy food or you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So this is reading between the lines a little bit, guys. But do you get the impression that no one is spending, you know, sleepless nights worrying about Simeon here? <laughs> well, we're just hanging out. We're eating the food we got. We've run out. <laughs> What about Simeon, okay? You're supposed to go back, return to get him out, right? Um, yeah, we don't know. If nobody's worrying about him, is it because he was a ruthless dude, you know? No real friend. Even his family didn't even care. Well, let's take a look at verse 6. Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you still had a brother? Okay, you should have never mentioned Benjamin is what he's saying. What were you guys thinking? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our families, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. So he asked us pointed questions. We couldn't lie. So could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. So in other words, okay, if you don't send Ben, we're going to starve to death, all of us. So I myself, he says, will be a surety to him. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you, and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For I, or if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land, vessels, and carry them down and present them to the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices, and myrrh, pistachio nuts, yum, and almonds. So take double money in your hand. I want us to pause for a moment. If each of the ten brothers here were returning, took two shekels instead of one, they would have how many shekels? Twenty shekels. How ironic, guys. Remember that Joseph was sold into slavery for twenty 
shekels. And he says, and take back in your hand the money that was returned in your mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, and that he may release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So in total helplessness, Jacob casts himself on the mercies of God. And I'm sure he didn't realize it at the time, but in reality, guys, that's the safest place to be. Amen? All right? Cast yourself upon the mercy of God. So the men took in pres- or the, at present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, and they rose and they went to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. And when Bo- or Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. So, which was a palace, by the way. Do you guys know this? Okay. Royal treatment here. It'd be kind of like us going to the White House, okay? This is pretty cool for these brothers. But they were probably wondering, like, what's going on? Why are we getting this royal treatment, okay? We're a little confused. Now, the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sack the first time that we are brought in so that he may seek an occasion against us and fall upon us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. So it's a trap, (laughs) is what they're saying. Verse 19, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir. We indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight, so we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. So they're pleading innocent. Okay, before they're even accused, we're innocent. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And who brings peace to their hearts, guys, and assures them of the king's favor here? It's an unnamed servant. Who is this guy? Throughout the Old Testament, guys, numerous unnamed servants pop up. And those are types of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the servant who speaks not of himself, but Jesus. He comforts, he assures, and he brings peace. Then, we're told here, he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, washed their feet, and gave their donkeys feed. They made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. So they planned a feast. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? 
the old man whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. And he lifted his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And they said, God be gracious to you, my son. Or he said, now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. So when Joseph saw little Benny here, he couldn't hold back his emotions anymore. Okay, he, You know, he lost it. Tears started to, you know, <clears throat> well up into his eyes. He barked out some excuse, got out of there and wept. So Joseph longs to be reconciled with his brothers. But it's not yet quite time. Okay. Um, and this is the situation today with Jesus. He loves the Jewish people. He wants to return to fulfill his promise to them, but the repentance of Israel isn't quite yet ripe. Okay, Verse 30, And he went into the chamber, and he wept there. And he washed his face, and he came out, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. And then they set him a place by himself, and then by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for this is an abomination to the Egyptians. Guys, and this is why God kept Israel in Egypt for 400 years, because there would be no danger of intermarrying with unbelievers. This was a big no-no for the Egyptians. Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to the first, or the birthright to the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. So the brothers are being sat down at this table. Get this picture, guys. And they realize that they're seated in their birth order. How could this be? Statistically speaking, guys, the chances of this happening are 1 in 36 million. <laughs> so I'm sure the brothers start to get a little suspicious here. Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's servings, I love this, is five times as much as any of the others. You guys know that five is the number of grace in the scriptures too? So they drank and they were merry with him. Chapter 44, and he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food and as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, also, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest in his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. So Joseph is about to reveal himself, but he has one more test for them. It tells us as soon as the morning dawned that the men were sent away, they and their donkeys, and when they had gone out of the city, they were not yet far off. Joseph said to the steward, get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you prayed evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. Guys, the occultists of Egypt, they would try to predict the future by floating little you know, flicks of silver and gold in a cup, 
okay? Um, trying to read the shadows of them, kind of like tea leaves, okay? Um, Joseph here, he didn't participate in the practice of the pagans, yet it was part of the ruse here that he was trying to create. He would accuse Benjamin of stealing this special cup. And then Joseph here, guys, would see his brothers and would treat be- or see how they would end up treating Benjamin if they would treat him the same way in which they'd done to him. Okay, would they sacrifice Ben to save their own skin? That's what he wanted to see most likely. So Joseph is about to see whether his brothers are truly repentive of their sin or not. And he's about to see if they've learned their lesson. Let's read on. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be the Lord's slaves. So if they only knew what was next. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Joseph agrees, then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each one opened his sack, so he searched. He began with the oldest, and he left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, and they tore their clothes. They were devastated, guys. And each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Now verse 14 tells us, so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, And he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you've done? Did you not know that such a man, I can certainly practice divination. And again, guys, this just was a part of all of Joseph's scheme. He's acting like an Egyptian. He claims to use supernatural powers to know that he had the cup. But it says, Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we be, or we clear ourselves? God has found out our iniquity of your servants. Okay? We've been caught red-handed. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. So Judah is the spokesman. He takes the blame. He took the cup. It just ended up being in Ben's bag, so he's trying to save his kid brother. Now remember, Joseph was sold into slavery at Judah's suggestion. Now it's Judah who spearheads the attempt to save Benjamin. So Judah has changed. Look at verse 17. But Joseph said, Far it be from me that I should do so. The man in whom the hand of the cup was found... He shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. So Joseph knows, guys, that 20 years earlier, these selfish brothers would have left him behind. Okay? Um, But they're not doing the same with Benjamin. Guys, there are two prerequisites when it comes um, 
to the blessings of God. Okay, repentance and faith. So important. Sometimes God waits to bestow his blessing upon us because he tests our repentance first. So are we sorry for what we've done or the damage that it's caused or are we just sorry we got caught? You guys understand what true repentance is, okay? And God sees the heart and he wants repentance. And I don't think there's a sweeter word in all of the Bible than repent. A lot of people don't like that word. But what happens? What are we promised when we repent? That we will find refreshment in the presence of the Lord. Because when we repent, what are we doing? We're turning to God. We're turning from our sin, our wrong, our evil. And we turn to God. And there's nothing better than being in his presence. There are so many people who are so beaten up, cast down, destroyed, just because they're not willing to repent. You see, the thing is, here with them, are we really sorry for what we've done, the damage we've caused? And they are. Um, so the question I think for us is do we simply just want to shake at the consequences of sin or do we want to shake up our lives and really change? That's the question. And I think most of you guys want to. That's why you're here this morning. You know that God is right. You know that when we open his word, it's going to deal with the truth of sin. It is going to call us as his people to repent, to turn to him, to trust in his ways. That is good. That is right. So, are we willing to surrender our will and do whatever it takes to avoid repeating the same mistakes again? And that's what God's really asking of us. It's not just a one-time repentance. I don't know if you guys are as sinful as me, but I like to sin. Okay, I shouldn't say I like to sin. I sin. <laughs> I don't like it a lot of times. But it is a lifelong repentance, isn't it, guys? It's just like, man, I blew it again. <laughs> Am I going to repent again? Yeah. I think we just need to live in an attitude of repentance. Because let me tell you what, none of us are going to arrive and find perfection this side of eternal e eternity. Okay, One day we will be perfected. We look forward to that. But we will struggle to the day we die. But God is sanctifying us. And a big part of that sanctification, guys, is repentance. Okay, Sin drives a wedge between us and the Lord. It breaks that relationship. Okay, we're even told as husbands, God won't hear us if we're in sin. Okay, our prayer life will be stunted. <laughs> well, I don't want that to happen. I better repent. <laughs> I better do what is right. I don't want a wedge between me and the Lord. I don't want anything to bring that divide. Well, then repentance is a sweet thing, isn't it? And that's why I think repentance is the sweetest word in the Bible. Turn to the Lord. And that comes really from a life of surrender. Absolute surrender. Amen? All in. Well, I'm willing to repent of these few things, but I'm really liking these things still. No. Full repentance, guys. Don't hang on to the junk. Okay? Sin just stunts our growth. Do you guys know that? When we will not willfully repent, it just stunts our growth and what God has. And God has blessings Let's encourage one another to repent, to turn from our sin, and walk into all that Jesus has for us to keep looking to him. All right, verse 18. Let's read a little bit. I love this, by the way. Pay attention. And then Judah came near to him and said, O oh my Lord, 
please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. And so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, the calamity befalls him. You shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. So Judah's taking this promise seriously. Look at verse 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Guys, this is amazing, okay? This amazingly, you know, this love for Jacob and his brothers, Judah, is willing here to swap places with Benjamin. He's willing to give up his life to save the life of his brother. Uh, Donald Gray uh, Barnhouse calls Judah's speech here the most moving address in all of the Word of God. Another commentary states, this one is, or this is one of the manliest, most straightforward speeches ever delivered by any man for depth of feeling and sincerity of purpose, it stands unexcelled. And why, guys? It sounds so much like Jesus, doesn't it? Okay? Just as Judah gave himself up for Benjamin for the father's sake and for the love of his brothers, Jesus was also willing to swap places. He was willing to die that we could go free. And perhaps this is why Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. Chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. 
and he cried out, Make everyone get out of here or from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, okay, he's about to drop the bomb here, guys. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Guys, this Hebrew word dismayed, okay, translated means trembling inwardly, okay, uh, to Paul pate okay it's these guys realize that they you know <laughs> um they've been doing business you know with their long lost brother joseph okay everything in them shook shook into the core here they're they're physically moved um this is also how the jews i believe in the last days guys are going to real <laughs> react when they finally realize that they rejected jesus of nazareth okay the, the indeed that he is their savior the savior of the world okay their wheaties will bow down to his wheaties you guys can check out zechariah twelve ten. it's gonna happen okay um verse four as joseph said to his brothers please please come near me and so they came near and then he said i'm joseph your brother whom you sold in egypt okay I don't know if that's how he really talks. Anyways, at this point, guys, anything can happen, right? Okay, what's going to happen now? Okay, we had no idea. <laughs> this is Big Joe now, you know. He, he's, he's ruler of the world. Okay, the hammer can fall. Joseph can snap his finger and have the torturers come in with the ball and chains and they all be thrown in to prison forever. But how would you do if suddenly you had an upper hand on your enemies? What would you guys do if you were in Joe's shoes right here, okay? And the destiny of these men were in your hands. Thankfully with Joseph, guys, love wins, okay? This story is of love. God is love. You want to see a picture of Jesus? He loves us, guys. Verse 5. But now do not therefore be grieved nor angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there is still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve uh, posterity for you in the earth and to save your families by great deliverance so now it was not you who sent me here but God would you guys circle that in your Bible but God I think the but gods are the coolest in the Bible you guys spend some time this week grab a concordance jump on your smartphone and check out all the butt gods in the Bible. They are so cool. And I love this. I think this might be the best one, okay? Hey, you guys, you know, <laughs> all this went down, okay? It, it was hard. It was rough. But it was for the good. It was for your good. God had a bigger plan, right? And what a statement, okay? The pit, Potiphar's house, the prison, now the palace, right? It was all God, is what Joseph is saying. But God, it's all him. 
God was at work, and Joseph continues, and, and he has made me the fa- uh, father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Uh, several years back, um, there's a Jewish rabbi by the name of Harold Kushner, and he wrote a book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Is that a book you grab off? you know, a a shelf to buy, to read, you know. It actually was one of uh, New York's best-selling sellers uh, at the time. But in the thesis of his book, though God loves, he's not all-powerful, okay. He's good, but he's not sovereign. Thus, when bad stuff happens, it's because events are actually outside of God's control, So Kushner suggests that we learn to love God and to forgive him despite his limitations. He actually said that in his book. Hey, Rabbi Kushner, you know, your God is not the God of the Bible, (laughs) okay? I don't know where this guy, I don't even know why people bothered reading his book, okay? God of the Bible, guys, is absolutely in control. He's absolutely sovereign, okay? Kushner's God is not the God of Joseph. We see Joseph, even though hard things were happening to him in his life, God was still in control of the entire thing. So Joseph's God is sovereign over all circumstances. He arranges and orders our lives through his outreaching will and according to his predetermined plan. So little Joe here, guys, he served a big God. You guys get in the picture? I'm hoping this is what you're seeing, okay? God has no limitations. A God uh, who does what he pleases without getting approval or making sure his methods make sense to us. Joseph's God is big enough to take the sick stuff that sin has released into this world and the evil that man musters, and he can still use it for his purposes. Think about that, guys. That's how big our God is. So Joseph's God specializes in turning bad into good. That's why I love the scriptures. That's why I love that we're spending time in the book of Genesis and we're taking time to look at Joseph's life. Guys, Joseph's life teaches us so much. It teaches us that God is always in control, whether it appears that way or not. In the rough times and dark places, Joseph remained confident that God loved him and had a purpose for him. Do you guys know that our God loves you? He really loves you, and he has a purpose for each and every one of you. I think it would please God if, that, if we leave today believing that same truth. Okay, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Believe what he has declared in his word about you and who he is. We have a big God. He is a sovereign God. He's a loving God, and he is always in control. So let's trust him. And Joseph here, he assures his brothers that God was behind what has happened here. And then he tells them, look at verse 9 with me. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. So Goshen, guys, it's east of the Nile Delta. It's northeast 
the capital of Egypt, um, Mesopotamia, or sorry, Memphis, um, very fertile ground even to this day in Egypt was given to Israel, okay? Uh, perfect land for raising cattle. And he says here, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Things are going to get rough, okay? And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. Man, I wish I had a you know, tape recorder to record those conversations, right? Verse 16. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Remember that as we continue to study through uh, Genesis and get into Exodus. This Pharaoh was pleased by this. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So this is also what God says when it comes to Jesus, when we come to him in faith. Hey, don't worry about what you're giving up, what you're leaving behind. The blessings that you're going to find in Christ Jesus, they're the best, okay? So when you come to Jesus, you leave that poverty mentality, okay? In verse 21, then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them the provisions for their journey. He gave all or to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments, and he sent to his father these things.